I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Welcome back to Align Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. In today's phenomenal episode, I got to have New York Times bestselling author, Mr. Drew Manning. Uh, he's also the TV host of the hit show. He said that hit show? That sounds cheesy, but it was a popular show. Uh, Fit to Fat to Fit on A&E. He is uh, one of the more grounded human beings that I have got to come across in these worlds and really grateful to get to have had him on. We get into his experience as a father, get into his experience out here in Los Angeles pitching TV shows and kind of some of the unexpected aspects of that Um, and his experience with putting on 75 pounds of blubber in I think it was six months going from super in shape uh, athletic model looking dude to a fatty and then taking that weight off and uh, that his whole trials and tribulations through that so we get into how and why to put on weight take off weight and a lot of really good stuff I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. And thank you all so very much for checking out the website, aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. If you are drawn to that URL, you can start the five-day movement challenge, which breaks down all the ins and outs of how to integrate more effective movement into your daily existence. Uh, if you guys are having back pain or knee pain or neck pain or you know generally want to feel more confident and more in your body, that's some new age jargon, in your body, but it's a real thing. Um, that five-day movement challenge is a great way to start. Uh, thank you guys also for reviews on on iTunes. If you leave us a review and we read it like I'm about to do, we'll send you out a box of something delicious from on it. Uh, this review comes from Janice Torres. Fantastic! Exclamation point. Five stars. This podcast has changed my view on movement and health in general. Thanks, Aaron. Exclamation point. Uh, really great. Thank you so much. Uh, your reviews is I'm pretty sure it's like one of the biggest parts of what runs the iTunes algorithm gods. So by you leaving reviews, it actually has much larger impact than probably what you even imagine. So thanks so much for that. Um, this conversation was recorded at my place here in Santa Monica, California, and uh, really fun. I hope you guys enjoy. Here we go. Back to the shizzy with Mr. Drew Manning. Align Podcast. It's fun to say. Well, wow, that was a hell of a slurpy sound you just made. That was... <laughs> <laughs> that was Slurpy AF. <laughs> Good. You can hear the little detail of that rub, slurp. Just, just rub it in. All right, we're recording. Podcast started. <laughs> I'm ready. That's the hardest start I've ever had. Um, so the way that we do the, the, the podcast is I just chop out any bullshit. So yeah. in the beginning, I just start it whenever it would make sense for people to listen. Okay, cool. So this may or may not be conceived not into the thing. So yeah, it's all just going to be nothing but value bombs <laughs> 100% of the time. Thanks so much, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Come by, done the thing. Yes, I'm excited, man. I've been looking forward to getting to getting to do this. I know. We've only talked to each other like at Pillow FX, like for two minutes, like mm-hmm. five minutes here and there. Mm. But I'm glad we finally connected. And then it Jill's last little thing here in Venice. Yes, it's becoming right, more man. and more. I know. Yeah. yeah, we see each other like like almost like six times a year now. <laughs> what the hell are you doing out here right now? Uh, lots of things: speaking engagement, mastermind, other podcasts, uh, meeting with my PR team, 
pitching TV shows, the whole LA stuff that happens sometimes when you come out to LA. What's the show? Um, so Fit to Fat to Fit is my TV show where I've had two seasons, right? And we don't know if there's going to be a season three. So we had some meetings pitching other TV show ideas and seeing if there's any bites. Mm. So um, right now they're all just you know ideas, concepts, and uh, with the production companies, they're always looking for new ideas to pitch. And so we pitched a kind of a almost like a biohacking uh, TV show idea that you know we'll see where that goes. But do you do like a reel or make like a proposal or like and do you, when you go and do the meetings with the people, like what does that look like? Once it gets to the next level, so right now it's just ideas. Like what about this? What about that? And then from there we kind of formalize it and structure it, and they have a. a meeting with their team and say, is this an idea we want to uh, possibly, you know, put together? And then from there, there's a formal contract, which takes months to put together. And then from there, it's like, okay, we're going to invest in the sizzle reel. And then from there, you go pitch it to networks. And then from there, networks say yes or no. If it's a yes, then it's like, okay, you got to work through the contract there. And then you got to go cast the show and um, production starts like six months later. Like it's, it's a whole different world that I had no idea existed until I created season one of fit to fat to fit. Yeah. Can you get into the story of what the hell you were doing with putting 75 pounds on in six months? <laughs> so let's back up to it's a terrible idea. Yeah, it's a horrible idea. <laughs> but There's all... so many other ways to make a living true. <laughs> it's true. You could have been like an herb gardener. It's true. This was, I kind of felt like it was almost like my calling. Um, I'll, and I'll tell you why. So basically back in 2011, I had this idea to get fat on purpose, but the idea came from me being a personal trainer in 2009, and I grew up my entire life in shape. I grew up with 11 brothers and sisters. We all played sports. I played football and wrestling. So for me, I never experienced what it was like to be overweight, and I, here I was trying to help people who were overweight, and it was easy for me to just be like, here's your meal plans. Here's your workouts. You just do it. You lose the weight. You transform. It's not that hard. Like it, it's been easy for me my whole life. Right. And they would tell me, or I would get frustrated with them when they would give me excuses of like, you know, hey Drew, I went out this weekend and I, I cheated. I didn't follow the meal plans, or you know, I was really sore and I was really tired and I didn't go to the gym like you told me to. And I would be frustrated with them because it's, it seems so simple. You just follow it. You put down the junk food. You stop drinking soda. You go to the gym. And it's not that hard. You just do it. And so there was a disconnect between me and them. And um, I, what I was doing wasn't working. So I felt like um, maybe there was something I needed to do differently. And they would also tell me, you know, Drew, you don't understand what it's like because for you it's always been easy and for you you've always been in shape. Mm. And I kind of took that to heart and I was thinking of ideas and it was really weird. I had this kind of lightning bolt moment where, boom, this idea popped up in my head. What if <laughs> you got fat on purpose? And it sounds crazy. But it made sense in my mind, and I, like I said, the whole calling uh, moment, I felt like I was being called to do this, even though it didn't make sense, right? Like, who would do this on purpose? And so I even Googled to see if anybody had done it before on purpose, and no one had, and I was like, I think I'm really going to do this. So I started talking to family and friends and pitching them the idea, and everyone, 99% of people were like, yeah, you should totally do it, bro. That would be awesome. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, it takes, Good thing you didn't call me. Exactly. You would have talked me out of it, right? <laughs> like, no. No. But here we are today, and uh, you know, I have no regrets. Like, It definitely led me down a path where I never felt like I would get to. I thought maybe the local news in Utah would pick it up, but I feel very fortunate very blessed because it became a book, a New York Times bestselling book. It became a TV show. It became this movement where... Now other trainers and coaches kind of come to me and look to me as like, you know, how do you connect with your clients better? And it all comes mm. down to empathy and respect and a better understanding. And I think empathy, one, our world needs more empathy. 
And in the fitness industry, I think there needs to be more empathy because there's a lot of judging and misunderstanding that goes on between people who are skinny, fit, blessed genetically in a sense. They still work their asses off, don't get me wrong. But then between this group and people who are have been overweight their whole life and they feel judged, they feel misunderstood. And there's a lot of hate that goes on between both sides and, and there's a lot of misunderstanding. And I feel like fit to fat to fit for me helped bridge that gap where I could finally empathize with my clients and they uh, respected me more and understood me more after having gone through this process of getting fat first. Um, and because it was really humbling, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And, um, yeah, if you look at back at my old YouTube videos and my old blogs, you can see how it really humbled me. It was way harder than I thought it would be to put on 75 pounds. Mm. <laughs> what were you eating? What was the, what did your lifestyle look like? Oh man, you're going to kill me. Um, cinnamon <laughs> toast crunch for breakfast <laughs> with a big glass of juice. <laughs> Do you remember growing up in like the eighties? It was these TV commercials on Saturday morning. It was a complete American breakfast, cereal, toast, and juice. Right. Right. And that's what we were taught to eat for breakfast. And so we, ha that's what I had every single morning. I would have peanut butter sandwiches on white bread, peanut butter and honey or peanut butter and jelly. And then for dinner was like white pasta, marinara sauce, meatballs, garlic bread. And then at nighttime you're watching TV, you eat cookies. Or if I was really lazy, it would have another bowl of cinnamon toast crunch. Would you eat a lot before bed? Oh yeah. That would be, I think that would be like high leverage. <laughs> so, yeah. For whatever reason, cinnamon toast crunch even tasted better at nighttime. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so good. It's like it naughtier. is really good. I'm not going to lie. Those processed foods, they're horrible for you, but they're cheap. They're convenient and they, you know, they taste really good. I'm not going to lie. How did you cultivate empathy with other people through that process? So I remember when I switched from, you know, not eating that way for six months. And then now here I was a personal trainer trying to get back in shape and I was a proponent of living healthy. I switched from eating 5,000 calories of processed food to 2,000 calories of you know real whole food. And I thought, oh yeah, I'll just get right back into it and the food will taste good and I'll feel great. I felt awful for two weeks. I felt like it was literally hell. Um, my body was going oh. through these crazy withdrawal symptoms of wanting the high of that food. And here I was telling people, look, you just stop drinking soda. You just put the junk food down. It's not that hard. And then right. here I was struggling with it myself and I realized how powerful that emotional connection to food really is. And I kind of look, I, kind of, I thought it was a lack of willpower. Like people are just weak. You mm. just, you know, it, you just get over it. Like if you wouldn't tell a drug addict what's wrong with you. You just stop doing drugs. It's not that hard. <laughs> I mean, some people think that way, but you really wouldn't, wouldn't tell people that. And I think with food addiction, it's similar, but it's looked at as almost like what's wrong with you. But it is a drug. It is an addiction. And I realized that once I went through this and I'm like, ah, oh, this is what my clients were telling me. This is why it was so hard for them to follow the meal plans that I gave them. They've been eating junk food for 30, 40 years. And now here I am trying to tell them, okay, you can't have that food anymore. And your body in a way fights back just like any other kind of addiction. Do you feel like a you mentioned Gabor Mate before who we've done a thing together on oh, here. Cool. And uh, I was actually just got to meet up with him just recently up in, I don't know, in, here in LA. And I yeah. highly recommend people checking out his work. Me He's too. like tremendous. Um, his perspective on addiction, probably other perspectives as well, is that it's, you know, they're, they're all kind of relatives. There's not like, it's like a void filling mm -hmm. of some sort, you know, so it could be food, it could be masturbation, it could be drugs or heroin, but there's not that or money or power. Yeah. So there's addictions that we accept and we even applaud. And then there's addictions that we poo poo, mm -hmm. but really it's all just this form of like, there's this vacancy and I'm trying to fill the vacuum. 
you know, exactly. it's, it's like this in the realm of hungry ghosts was his last book. And that's kind of what it alludes to. One of the things that stuck out to me with him was he's, instead of asking why the addiction, it's why the pain. Yeah. Right. Like why, why do you have pain? And I never, you know, experienced that before. Like people who have food addiction, it is a real addiction, but we sometimes think, well, food's not addictive. There's no studies that show that or whatever. People sometimes believe that because they've never had that addiction. Um, and I feel like there's a lack of empathy because they've never struggled with it. Just like people who don't know any drug addicts think the same thing. Like, well, stop doing heroin. It's not that hard. You know, I've never, I've never struggled with it. Right. So it's hard to empathize until you've kind of been in someone else's shoes. And so um, for me, I'm a huge fan of his work. And I think if we had more empathy approaching this world of health and fitness and not just helping people get skinny, that's not what it's about, but helping people truly transform with their relationship with food or whatever their addiction is, like a similar approach. Like, you know, um, if, if you're someone like Dr. Gabor Mate and you have some, you're dealing with someone who has an addiction, you have to have that empathy to be able to relate to them, to be able to help them yeah. versus like, what's wrong with you? You just stop it. You stop doing it. Like you got to stop it. And that doesn't work. Have you noticed yourself swapping addictions out for new addictions throughout your lifespan? Yeah. 100%. What kind? Uh, so let's, uh, let's go deep. Can we go deep here? We're, yeah, we're there. That's <laughs> so all. we, we mentioned, uh, <laughs> pornography before this, um, growing up in a strict Mormon culture. So the Mormon religion was, I was taught from a very young age, pornography is evil. It's bad. It's exciting, but don't do it. Yeah. But then here I was a normal kid with hormones and had friends who like would show me pornography. And of course my reaction was like, Whoa, you know, yeah. like, this is so cool, but I know it's bad, but I want to touch it. Like I want to like, look at it. And it almost created what I call the forbidden fruit syndrome. So, you know, in the garden of Eden, the whole forbidden fruit thing, like don't touch it, but the, that made them want it more. Right. That's what I went through with, with pornography. So I was ashamed of it. I was disgusted with myself because of it because I knew it was bad, but I still couldn't stop doing it. And so instead of going to people and telling my parents or my church leaders about it, because I felt like if I did, there would be a punishment, right? So in the church, anytime you confess a sin to like your bishop or your church leader, it was like, okay, you know, I love you. But you need to stop doing this. And, and until you do, here's your punishment. Like, so for example, in a sacrament meeting at church, there's a bread and water that get passed around and you're not supposed to take it if you're unworthy. So mm. if you're masturbating and looking at porn, you wouldn't be worthy to take it. And it's a sin to take it when you're unworthy. So, but it, people see it being passed around. My family is sitting right next to me. So if I don't take it, I'm freaking out. Cause I'm like, what are my parents going to think? Are they going to know that something's wrong with me? So I would just take the, the sin of eating it and pretending like I didn't have any sins. Cause I was so ashamed of that. And so growing up, I developed this unhealthy pattern of not talking about my weaknesses and just dealing with it internally. And that eventually broke me as a man uh, where mm -hmm. I, you know, had this addiction where, you know, even when I got married, um, I still hid it from my, my ex-wife. I hid it. I hid it from her our entire marriage and pretended like I was perfect on the outside. And so anyways, it eventually broke me as a man. And, and I did um, eventually get over that. And we can talk about that too. But I, to answer your question, did I trade that addiction for a different addiction? Um, I think yes, but I think where I'm at now with letting go of my ego and not being religious like I was, I don't live in a, a, a world of guilt and shame. I really don't know what my quote unquote addiction would be now. I mean, I think for me, I'm addicted to, um, I don't know, um, being a good dad, um, being successful in life, um, <laughs> addicted to living a healthy lifestyle. But 
water, air, like, <laughs> I don't know, like what else? Uh, I don't know if I have any like bad, quote unquote, bad addictions like I did before. I'm in a place where I'm in a good place emotionally and spiritually. I love myself. And um, I, I come from a place of feeling grateful and blessed in this life. So I don't really know what my like, quote unquote, bad addiction is. Yeah. Well, that's okay. I'm sure we all have addictions, but. Yeah. I still get wrapped up in food. Yeah. Food's a bit of a mofo for me sometimes. Like what kind of food? All good stuff. Cinnamon Toast Crunch? None of that. No, but <laughs> like it's too like... too many keto cookies or what? Yeah. Oh, dude, keep the keto cookies away. I can't handle it. It's too much responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go out. I'm like, I'll get like ravenous, which my idea of ravenous might not be like, it probably wasn't where you were at when you were yeah. doing your thing. Um, but yeah, I'll just, I'll notice a, a feeling, just a certain sensation of maybe like a, like a, a vacancy of some sort, just to use that same language. Okay. And that sensation of chewing and digesting, it's almost like a distraction in, uh, in a sense, Yeah, you know, and I don't feel, and then you have, you know, now all of a sudden I have this new process happening. So my, I'm going through you know, peristalsis and digestion, like all this shit's happening in my belly. Yeah. So it's like, cool, sweet <laughs> <laughs> mind occupied. <laughs> you know, I think I have moments of that, but I'm more self-aware now to where I can step outside and say, okay, I know what I'm doing. I'm still going to do it, but I'm, I know what I'm doing, but I can, I feel like I can stop it. So I have that those, uh, I call them lizard brain moments where my lizard brain kicks in and our like animalistic or primal brain kicks in where I'm just like, I'm definitely overeating here and I should stop, but it feels good. It tastes good. And I'm going to keep going. <laughs> I have moments like that, but then afterwards I can reassess and be more self-aware versus before, um, it was, I was surrounded by, it was surrounded by guilt and shame. Right. Versus now I'm like, I don't feel that guilt or the shame when it comes to like overeating food. Cause I've, I'm the same way, man. Right. If someone brings me Girl Scout cookies, Samoa <laughs> as a gift I, and I have one bite, I'll eat the whole box. <laughs> me I really too. Will. <laughs> no control. <laughs> I have moments. See, that's, that's what I'm saying. So it's interesting, but I'm in a different place now than I was before. Yeah. You grew up Mormon. Mormon. Yes. What is that? More <laughs> is that it's a religion. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're like, what's a, what's a Mormon? I guess I should start from the beginning. So Mormonism is a very new age religion that started in the 1800s, and it's a Christian religion. But they believe in the Bible and something called the Book of Mormon, which is a different set of scriptures. It was this guy named Joseph Smith who uh, claimed he saw God in Jesus Christ and told him that none of the churches were true on this earth and that through him, uh, the real church would be reestablished um, through him. And so that's kind of the story. So there was these golden plates that he found, uh, supposedly, and translated them from this ancient uh, Egyptian um, language into English and brought us this thing called Book of Mormon. And it's, a, it's an international church. It's uh, maybe, you know, um, maybe 10 million, 20 million members now worldwide. Yeah. So it's a religion. Did you did you grow up in with with polygamy and all that stuff or wasn't like that that deep in the Mormonhood? So when Mormonism first was established, it was you know a quote unquote revelation was given to Joseph Smith to take on multiple wives. Of course, of course, and That's, he yeah, <laughs> duh. <laughs> if you're if you're a guy making a revelation from from a higher power, that'd be high on the list, I think. Yeah, I mean, and so he kind of implemented it first and told people it was a revelation from God. And uh, so it kind of spread throughout the church and then the government came and cracked down on it. And so in a long, to make a long story short, they said, okay, we'll stop doing polygamy. But certain members of the church said, no, it's still from God. So we're going to leave the church and kind of establish our own church. And that's called the FLDS, like the fundamentalists uh, who still believe polygamy is the way of God. 
Hmm. But the, the LDS church, the Mormon church, kind of kiboshed the whole thing and said, if anyone does it from this point on, you're excommunicated from the church. So in my generation, my parents' generation, like, you know, the polygamy was looked at as um, a sin after that point and said, if, if anyone practices it, you get excommunicated from the church. So I didn't have multiple moms or anything like that. What do you think about polyamory and polygamy or multiple partners, or monogamy or all those so I think from a religious perspective, like it's been around since biblical times, but I still don't think <laughs> it was, a, I, I don't know if it's a revelation from God where it's like, hey, you're a man, you have power and you should have multiple wives. And um, in our day and age, and I think, for example, uh, polyamory, is that how you say it? Yeah. So polygamy, as you, yeah, polyamory is like everybody's doing it with everybody. Yeah. Polygamy is just the dude gets to do it with everybody. Exactly. Right. Um I'm open to things like that for certain people. Kind of like I believe certain religions work for certain people. Um, I think it's new for a lot of people. Like um, it's, it's against tradition, against culture. It's against society. It's against certain religions. But I think like I see people that I look up to that do it successfully. And I'm like, okay, maybe it works. Like, I just don't know if it's for everybody. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You're not Mormon anymore. I'm not Mormon anymore. What's the transition out of that? It's a good question. So I, um, uh, so my story was I found out some things that were hidden from me um, as uh, a Mormon because in before the internet age we just kind of had to go off of what people told you was true. <laughs> There's no way to fact right. check. And now that we have the internet, I can you can find out things that are not anti-Mormon but facts. And for so for me, I found out these things, and I'm like, wait a second this, I, I was lied to about this. Like this wasn't true. So for me, what that meant for me was I had a hard time trusting men who say that they speak for God. Like they interpret what God's, you know, revelation is for all of humanity. I have a hard time trusting man saying that they speak for God. And this is what God's commandments are for you, Drew. I feel like we have the power to receive revelation from a higher power or God for ourselves. And that, you know, anytime there's organized religion that comes in and says, hey, that's a sin to do that, or it's a sin to think like this, like, I don't, I don't see that working for me yeah, personally. So here's the thing. I respect other religions. Like, my, my family's still uh, Mormon, and I respect them, and I respect people of other religions, and I respect, respect people who have other um, traditions or methods that um, maybe for me, you know, don't work. I feel like I'm not here to condemn or convert people. I don't feel like that's my mission in life. I could feel, so I grew up really religious with uh, Christianity mm-hmm. and I could feel a, a tangible, almost it felt like, like synapses, like synaptic car accidents mm-hmm. happening inside my brain uh-huh. <laughs> whenever I would conflict with that, that belief system, mm-hmm. you know, so now I'm more in like more of a neutral agnostic, whatever, like I'm, you know, free love, whatever. Yeah. Um, but when I was like going outside of that, it's like, okay, well what happens when I die? I'm like, well, I don't think that a, a huge percentage of the world just goes to this fiery pit just because they didn't like get the memo. Yeah. You know, but that idea was like, it like, it like hurt my brain. Yeah. <laughs> like I could feel like me, like, no, but then it's a really interesting transition into changing such a deeply held belief system. Mm-hmm. You know, we have those belief systems with everything. I think nutrition is like, it's another religion. You know, we have all, all of our beliefs. It's like they go deep, deep down. Yeah. You know, transitioning out of that's kind of an interesting journey. It is interesting. I think religion, like in the whole nutrition world, it's weird how those that's almost becoming a religion where it's like, oh, totally. you eat processed food? Man, that's the devil. Like, that's a sin for me. I can't do that. And I look down on you because you do that. Like, it, it causes a lot of judgment and divisiveness in today's world because of 
of that, like different belief systems that don't like jive with everybody else. So people tend to say, I'm on this team, I'm in this camp. And if you're not in my camp, then you're less than almost. And I feel like that's not cool. And I feel like that's not the way that, you know, even if, if there was a Christian God, like, I don't think that's the way he wanted to see this world where it's like, Hey, you better be on my side or else you're going to hell. You know what I'm saying? Um, but anyways, I feel like there's different paths for every single person. And I feel like everyone has their own truth. And who am I to tell someone that they didn't have experiences or emotions tied to those experiences that have shaped who they are? You know, how am I supposed to tell someone that like, you know, those experiences aren't valid, you know? And so that's why I feel like for me, I'm not here to say you're wrong and I'm right and vice versa. Like I'm open to being totally wrong. I could be totally wrong about this whole world and and I'm okay with not knowing. I think it's the pressure as, as humans to, we have to know. Like, what, where are we going after this life? Why are we here? And there's a lot of pressure to find out. It's like, you better find out. Otherwise, you're going to waste your life away. And I just don't live with that pressure on me anymore. And it's so freeing. Do you have any belief system? What happens after we, I have hope. we, we go? I have hope. Like, honestly, like, so I'm a dad. I have two daughters. My hope is that, you know, I can live with them after this life. I don't know if it's in heaven. Maybe heaven is here on earth maybe this is our one chance and like we get to choose heaven or hell every single day but my hope is that we do live on after this life maybe there's something bigger that happens but do i believe it i don't think anybody knows for sure but i have hope that you know i can be with friends and family we can party on after this life you know (laughs) like that would suck if it was just one and done you know like we're like why why are we here as humans with being able to to communicate the way we do and yeah. have the sense of connection that's so deep, right? Without something bigger after this life. I don't know. Like, so like I said, I'm, I don't know what's going to happen, but my hope is that, you know, there is, there is something after this life. Yeah. What's your nutritional dogma these days? <laughs> I'm, I'm in the religion of keto, <laughs> the church of keto. Good. I joke about this all the time. Um, I'm a big fan of the ketogenic diet, but at the same time, I'm a big fan of just, uh, human optimization, optimizing your body, your brain. And for me, my vehicle for that is keto and or and or fasting. Am I strict keto all the time? No. Uh, do I make my daughters eat keto? No. Um, but for me, I've experienced the benefits of uh, that mental clarity and the improvement in, co- in cognitive function through fasting and, and the ketogenic diet. So for me, I feel optimal on that. Um, mm. But, I mean, I still love a good pizza. I still love, you know, maybe uh, for my daughter's birthday, we just had recently I ate birthday cake. And it was cool. And we, you know, I, I don't feel like I need to live in the super strict world where I'm like, hey, this is my religion of nutrition. And you better follow it or else, like, there's a consequence. What's a good <laughs> starting recipe for people to explore ketosis and not be Yeah, the best recipe is, um, oh, not be uncomfortable? Sure, whatever. Unless that's, unless that's, unless that's valuable. I was going to say no food. Yeah. (laughs) That's the best recipe. Um, no, um, maybe, maybe I'm a big (laughs) fan of fasting. That's what I'm saying. Like I was in the mentality and maybe you were too back in the day, six, seven meals a day, high protein. Totally. Oh yeah. I was a professional educating people on that. (laughs) You need to be eating all the time to stoke the metabolic fire. Exactly. You don't want to store all that fat. You know, like going to starvation mode and store fat. I used to be the same way, and um, that's what I'm saying. I'm open to being wrong. Like, I've been wrong before in the past. Right. I could be totally wrong. Ten years from now, I could be totally different man, different belief system, and I'm okay with that. But um, for me, I think getting started is looking to intermittent fasting because that gives you – that's the quickest way to get into ketosis. And I don't think – if someone's never experienced what it's like to be in ketosis, there's a great book called – 
Um, hold on a second. Ketosis Un- for dummies. <laughs> Unbroken. Oh, all right. Have you read that book about this mm-hmm. World War II survivor who uh, crashed his plane in the Pacific Ocean, survived, I think, 42 days at sea, and then only to be captured by the Japanese and then taken to a concentration camp where he was beaten, tortured for years, and he survived the whole thing. He used to be an Olympic runner. Uh, they made a movie about it. But anyways, in <laughs> the book, I remember reading the book. It's a long, thick book, but it's an incredible story of how he survived at sea. The sharks attacked him, and all of his friends died. Um, they were they were four days in, into this voyage at sea with no food, no water, and they were suffering. They were exhausted, and on day four, him and his friend woke up, and he said that they had the most clear minds where they could remember the most intimate details about their childhood, and they can carry on conversations for hours about uh, the deepest conversations that they've ever had, and that mental clarity is what ketosis is. Hmm. And even though they uh, suffered and struggled for four days before that, uh, that next day, they had like the, the sharpest minds ever. And I think if people could experience well, that every once in a while in their life through a ketogenic diet or fasting, it's it's um, it's definitely something worth at least exploring. Hmm. Yeah, check it out. It's a great book of survival too. What about as you're fasting, do you recommend putting like salt in your water or stuff like that? I don't put salt in my water. I put salt in my hand and then... Okay, uh, but you do supplement. It. You do supplement with salt. Uh, salt is a game changer, man. Yeah, uh, we were taught that fat is bad for us. We were also taught that salt is bad for us. You can almost whatever you're told, you can just assume, <laughs> do the opposite, and you should be fine. Any advice we got from just the '60s and '70s? <laughs> do the opposite of what they told us. But that's what they say before that. Like I was, I did a, I did a, a trip through Mexico slash Central America on a motorcycle, and. Every city that I went to, they would tell me the next city, they're going to chop my dick off and like all these terrible things. And then I go to that next city and they'd be like, oh, oh my God, you came from San Lo, whatever. Like, oh, they didn't chop your dick off? I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like an interesting adventure. (laughs) Well, I don't think they actually said chop my dick off, but something of that nature, you know? And so it's always this like, uh, you know, belief. Folk folk tales of like, oh, this will happen or that'll happen. And, And back in those days, we didn't have the internet to question things or to, say well that my doctor smarter than me he's telling me what to do i guess i better believe him right? i had a point i had a point of, of the chop your dick off story okay i didn't even where i didn't did, even I reference say, where, where that, that went <laughs> we always think that the, that the past was was we think that right now we're correct mm-hmm. so wherever you are is safe yes right but then if you look past you know, 20 years or to San Lua, whatever. Then it's like, Oh, that was terrible. It was horrible. <laughs> you know, but then you go 20 years ago, like, this is great. We're in it. We finally <laughs> nailed it 20 years before that. Like, Oh no, they'll chop yeah. your dick off. Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> so to me, I'm just like, I don't believe anything. Yeah. Like you right now we, ha- we, we have to be wrong. Yeah. Don't even believe yourself. Cause 20 <laughs> years from now you look back and like, man, I was so stupid. What was I thinking? You know? So that's why I'm saying be, be open to being wrong. Right. Yeah. Don't be so set in your ways and speak in absolute truths where you feel like you know everything right now with certainty. Like it's almost it's almost um, for me, I, I see it as freeing to not know, you know, yeah. to not know the answers and not know like what's going to happen. I don't know. You know, um, we have hypotheses and theories and, and hopes for things, but no one really knows. But and that's what makes life so interesting and adventurous, in my opinion. Mm.
wanted to take a quick moment to thank the Align Band for supporting this podcast. Align Band is a rad self-care product created by yours truly. I use it with every one of my clients, uh, friends, family. I take it with me anytime I go on any type of traveling trip. Uh, highly recommend getting a resistance band in your life, even if it is not the Align Band. Uh, get yourself a resistance band. This guy comes with a door anchor, a traveling case, so you can hang it up on any hotel door, uh, car door, anywhere. And then you have a band hanging, so you can start mobilizing, opening up your hips, opening up shoulders, opening up the ankles, lengthening your neck, whatever you got to do, you can do it with the Align Band. Um, you can find it at aligntherapy.com gear. That's aligntherapy, A-L-I-G-N, therapy.com gear. It's also on Amazon, all those different places. Thank you so much for swooping that thing up if you are called, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. What are you excited about these days? It's a good question. Um, you know, uh, I'm excited slash nervous uh, raising two daughters in this world. You know, it's uh, sometimes it, it can be scary um, for me, but me and my ex-wife, we do a really good job at co-parenting. So I feel like we're doing the best we can navigating the waters of like, you know, technology and, and drama with other kids. And, you know, because we still live in Utah and there's a lot of like, you know, we're kind of not seen as outcasts, but we're looked at as kind of the minority. Why? Because right? we're not Mormon. Right. We're it's not, like that. Yeah, it is like it's a smaller town well. out there. So it's like, okay, how do I deal with if they get picked on or they get belittled because of their beliefs um, or if they feel less than because their friends are getting baptized? Why do you want you just like move to Santa Monica? We could. We could. We talked about that, me and uh, my ex-wife. Um, and uh, that would be an easier path. But I feel <laughs> like. Um, <laughs> that wouldn't be the religious thing to do. I haven't felt called to, to it yet. Um, I, I would move to Hawaii. Oh, my good. family on my dad's side is from Hawaii, and um, I feel I feel closer to Hawaii than I do California. Um, and Hawaii is just a, it's a different energy there if you've never been there. Uh, very healing. So I would I would bring them to Hawaii. But right now with my work, I travel so much for work. Um, with my job, I'm like expanding my business. Like you know, I have multiple businesses that I just started this past year, and so I'm excited about that as well to see where where my businesses will go. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited, but the thing for me is like I get excited about business stuff sometimes and like how my business is growing. But one quote that helps keep me grounded is from Tony Robbins, and he says, "Success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure." Yeah. So even if I have all the fame in the world, all the money in the world, all that's cool, but am I fulfilled at the end of the day? And that's what one question I ask myself and other people: What brings you fulfillment in this life? And if it's just making money, if it's just you know sex and drugs and and that's the only fulfilling thing in your life, then, you know, is that, is that enough for you? Is that enough? So for me, what brings me fulfillment, you know, and you see people like Robin Williams and Anthony Bourdain who they had, you know, from an outside perspective, they had everything, right? Like success and fame and, but at the end of the day, they weren't fulfilled. And, um, I think that's one thing we got to do to check ourselves, you know, make sure we're being fulfilled in this life. And that's kind of, for me, uh, helps to bring excitement to, no matter what's going on, even if my businesses crash and die today, you know, can I go on in this life still being fulfilled? And for me, it's, it's being a dad and having relationships with friends and family at the end of the day. So I could, um, do you remember that study that was done a while ago where it showed, um, you know, if you are obese, it increases your chance of early death by X percent. And if you smoke, it'll increase your chance of early death by this percent. But if you're lonely, lonely. Yeah. that's the highest percentage. Yeah, man. So even if I take care of my mitochondria, my micronutrients, and my body's super healthy, if I'm not taking care of the other things that bring fulfillment in my life, 
then at the end of the day, what's it, what's it for if you live maybe like five years longer? Did you notice any type of um, like personality characteristic changes when you became a, a big fella? Oh, yeah, a big fella. <laughs> yeah. When I got uh, overweight or how you fat. you say that, right? I did. Yeah. And here's what's so interesting is it really affected who I was at the core, my personality change. Yeah. And here's why. And a lot of people, when they look at food, they don't realize what it's doing to them as a whole. They see it as if I eat cinnamon toast crunch and Mountain Dew all day, I'm going to get fat, right? Yeah. And that's it. But you don't you don't see how it's going to affect you at the cellular level or at a, a, a hormonal level either because it affects your sleep, which affects your hormones, which affects your mood, which affects your personality. You become almost a different person more so than food and lifestyle than if you did like cocaine or heroin all day. And we don't give credit to how much food affects us, you know, what we're putting in our bodies. Um, and so I did change. Even in six months, I remember my ex-wife being super annoyed because I wasn't as helpful around the house. And I was always, um, what's the word? Uh, I had self-esteem issues and self-confidence. And um, uh, yeah, it, it definitely affected our relationship. As a fatty or before that as well? No, as a as a, as a, as a, bit, as a large fella. <laughs> as a large fella. I don't know. <laughs> We can just say fat. That's the easiest. Word. When yeah. you were fat, I don't take offense. To did that. you have the Did you have the same uh, self confidence issues before that though? Um, yes and no. That's a good question, and that causes me to go deep because if I'm honest, even though I had a good body on the outside, yeah. I still didn't see myself as good enough. Yeah, right. I was never good enough. Even if I had six pack, eight percent body fat, it looked good. I was always beating myself up on the inside not loving myself, never feeling like I was good enough. And so that carried over to being overweight. And I, w I remember wanting to go up to strangers and say, hey, guys, uh, I'm not really overweight. Here's my before picture. This is just right. an experiment. Just so you I'm know, not really I'm actually awesome. <laughs> I really don't look like this, you guys. It's just an experiment. Because um, here's the thing. I think your identity is based on what your body looks like. If you grew up your yeah. entire life in shape, and that's all you've ever known, that your body is part of your identity. And the opposite of that is true, too. People who are overweight their entire life, their identity is based on what their body looks like. And so it forced yeah. me to realize that I, I'm more than my body. And everyone that's listening, watching, same thing. You're more, you have more to offer this world than just what your body composition is. Hmm. But our society places so much value on looks and being skinny and having a six-pack that we will do what, almost whatever it takes to look a certain way so that people will accept us. And um, some people sacrifice their health to, to get skinny or to have a six-pack. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I didn't. Oh, We're moving. Motorcycle? No, it's a trash. It's a trash can. We have, a, we have. <laughs> it's uh, like a motorcycle. His name is, uh, oh shoot, I forget his name, but he does the recycling. Oh, He's okay. very kind. He trims the bushes. He's a great guy. Cool. Yeah. yeah. It's a, I could have sworn pa it sounded like pa a motorcycle. Pa pass by there. <laughs> the other interesting thing with that is as you, as you start developing in some, some of this, this, uh, the, the belly, it changes your, your posture. You know, it changes the way that you move. You're probably a little bit slower. Yep. You know, so it's again, it's like when we look at the, the studies, it's like I've talked about this way too many times in here. But you raise your arms up over your head and increases testosterone and really? decreases stress, stress hormones. Yeah, they, Amy Cuddy, they call it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. let's yeah. do it. Get it up there. Right? I think I'm pitting. This is highly embarrassing. Um, you know, so when you put your arms up over your head like that and like yeah. stack your structure, you feel more empowered. Hmm. You know, and so you see like any, any person, whether they're blind or deaf or what have you, they win in the same posture. Yeah. You know, so when you say, yes, yeah, you know, true, when man. you lose, you go, oh shit. Yeah. You're kind and you of hunch over, <laughs> you know, so when you change the, the constitution of your body like that, all of a sudden maybe your hips start waddling around a little bit and you become, have you ever mimicked people's walking by chance? 
like consciously or consciously yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, it could be pretty offensive but i do it when people are in front of me so they don't know no uh, no like kind of like walk this way try it it's fun dude it's good time I think, no, it's a really cool thing. Um, so you, this, I was just doing this literally like a couple nights ago. Okay. I went out for a little, a little walk and there was a, there was a fellow, he was like buzzing past me and I was like, whoa, he's really buzzing. I was kind of like, just like waddling around. It's like 9.50 p.m. And so I'm like, you know, I was just like, all right, I'm going to get on the buzz train. You know, so I go up, not right, right behind him, you know, 20 feet or so. And I just literally mimic all of his gait pattern. Oh, and wow. it changed, it changed the way that I felt completely. Wow. Like he was like, he had his music on. He's like, boom, boom. And I was like, yeah, like, I like that. Like, I'm going to get that. And then emotionally, yeah. I feel this difference where I feel like I got a place to go. And I feel like. Whereas before it was kind of like, you know, I was like nighttime, I'm kind of going in, I'm just yeah. taking a walk and introspecting. Uh -huh. But that postural change of the way that I move literally changed the way that I think. Yeah. I don't know. I felt that before, like at the gym when my song comes on and I'm just like, yeah, man, you got a little change bit more the swagger. Whole thing. Yeah, you got a little more confidence in yourself. So that's interesting. Yeah. So if you're feeling down on yourself, like go change, change it up. Walk. Change up. Yeah, okay. the game. I, like I read a thing recently of how bipedalism is associated to potentially associated to the evolution of our our brains. What's bipedalism? Sorry. <laughs> we'll, we'll cut that part out. Should I know that? <laughs> Walking on two feet. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that was uh, yeah, that was uh, <laughs> complicated way of saying. It's a <laughs> Walking upright. Okay, that yeah, makes I'm, sense. Sorry. I'm an asshole. Why do I say stuff like that? <laughs> Bipedalism. That's a bullshit way to say it. So walking upright. Um, These people are cracking up. So, <laughs> so, so walking upright like that uh, apparently causes your brain to release all these new neurons and has like this. It's like this this new complex balancing act. Mm. You know, so as our physical body has to go into a new postural position, our brain has to follow suit. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you're going, if you're used to being a baby and walking on all your fours like this, and then all of a sudden you go oh, 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 up, okay, I'm balancing. Yeah. Your brain goes, okay, we'll figure that out. Yeah. Anyways. That, no, that's it's all tied together. Okay. That makes me think about uh, Jim Quick. You've had him on your podcast. He was here yesterday. Oh man, I Two just days missed ago? him. Yeah, yesterday. Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember him talking about. It. He's like, if you want to get smarter, you know, start brushing your teeth with your left hand, or start doing mm -hmm. things with the opposite hand or foot that you're, that you're normally used to. Yeah. It forces your brain to adjust, adjust and adapt. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Specifically, this could be bogus, but it's I, I've read that by working with the opposite hand like that, it'll work with the opposite hemisphere. Uh -huh. You know, so working with your left hand um, will help with being like more like outside of the box thinking and you know throw yeah. some paint on the wall and creative and stuff like that. I feel like my I would mess up so many text messages with like yeah, it's not, it's, like, not, uh, it's not it's, it's not worth be, it. It's, it's not, not worth efficient, it. Though. Yeah, I gotta no no be fast. Yeah, you gotta Just be. You gotta be. <laughs> I got two seconds to answer this text message. Do you do a gratitude journal or kind of? I do stuff like that. It's changed my life, man. Oh, um, good. So like, here's the thing. I went from a structure, like prayer is the only way to better yourself in life. Or if you have doubts, like pray to things like meditation, gratitude journal, positive affirmations, those things changed my life more than, you know, your traditional prayer. And I'm not saying prayer is bad. I think these things can be supplemented with prayer. And I wish I would have learned these, these tools beforehand, but meditation, gratitude journal, and positive affirmations are three things that I think are essential for anyone that's looking to not just transform their body, like that won't give you a six pack, but implementing that with you know, eating healthy, real food and having a better relationship with your body and moving it and getting out and, and exercising. 
if you supplement those things on top of like changing your diet and your exercise can make a huge difference with, you know, any kind of physical transformation that you're looking to. Cause I think yeah. transformation is so much more than just, like I said, a physical one. Uh, it can be mental, emotional, and spiritual, and those all tie together. And that's what true transformation is for me. So it's cool to get skinny. Anybody can do that, but that doesn't bring ha more happiness in your life. And so those things that you're mentioning, the gratitude journal, I think those make more of a, a, a bigger impact on your happiness levels than if you woke up one day and you're skinny all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. You know, like, um, what was that movie, Nutty Professor, where he transformed, <laughs> he's like, movie. spandex, all spandex, you know, for him, that was happiness for a minute, you know, so it, it, it can bring temporary happiness, but, you know, the lasting stuff is like, I think, being grateful every single day. Yeah. Yeah. I just did a thing yesterday with the Art of Less Doing guy, Ari, Ari yes, Meisel. Yeah, you book. Okay, yeah. talk about that. Yeah, so one of the things that I got out of there that I thought was was cool, because I like blasted through it, because I was recording a thing with him that night, um, and I really enjoyed it. It was super helpful. One of the things that I got was... Um, focusing on the end goal before you start. Mm -hmm. And I think you can kind of, you know, slip up with this as well. But I think having that visualization is really important. You know, I wonder when you were going through your process of, of changing your body from fit to fat to fit, I wonder if there was like a visualization process of you being a tubby fella and then a visualization process of you evolving back into, you know, the visualization yeah. of, of who you are and who you want to be. And I think it, it I feel like there, it's almost like we, we create a container for this, our body to form in and it's partially based off of what we visualize. Yeah. You know I wish, I'm yeah, I wish I had those tools back then. I can't say that I did, but, um, you would do it whether you realized it or not though. I think maybe I did. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think we're always visualizing. We're always praying. All of our words are like prayers and yeah. wishes and all that. Yeah. So it's just some people put language and like, yeah. I'm doing a gratitude journal, but. Interesting. No, I probably, I mean, cause I definitely envisioned like, man, what would I look like fat? And I did get fat and I'm like, wow, I definitely don't want to look this way the rest of my life. Yeah. Not, not so much because of the looks. I just felt awful inside, you know? Um, I felt like it wasn't representative of who I really am on the inside. And, and then when I got back to fit, I was like, okay, I definitely can see myself getting back in shape hopefully. And it did work out. But I think those, that kind of more came to, to me afterwards with how I visualize you know, my life and not so much me physically, like physically, I, 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 I don't really care being like 8% body fat or 7%. Like as long as I'm like under 15, like for the most part, I'm good. I'm not as obsessed as I used to be, but it's more so visualizing where I want to be in life with my business as a dad, as an entrepreneur, helping people, uh, visualizing my business, I think has made the biggest difference before, because I read a book called the art of living kind of mm -hmm. talks about this, visualizing where you want your business to be and, and how you want to impact this world. And if you really believe it, like it'll happen. And for me, the power of belief is uh, underutilized in our society. And for me, like that's made such a huge difference. Yeah. So I dig it, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> good stuff. Very good stuff. Is there any other stuff we should, we should tap on before you got to get on a plane? Kinda, I do have to get on a plane, kinda, but, kinda but um, you know what? I, you know, my whole message to, with the fit to fat to fit movement is yes, I am in the, the business of helping people transform physically, but I feel like if I can hook them with that, like, like, Hey, let's help you transform your body physically. Then I can help them with the mental and emotional and spiritual side for a complete transformation. And so for me, you know, if you want to learn more about me, it's, it's, you know, I'll just, you know, a uh, quick little shout out to where to find me fit yeah, to fat to fit is my website, my book, my podcast, all my social media handles. And, um, I have a second book coming out, uh, it's a keto book, but it kind of talks about all these things that we've been talking about, like personal development and growth and gratitude and, and, um, complete transformation. So that'll be coming out early 2019. Cool. Uh, so be on the lookout for that, man. 
It's exciting. And I'm looking forward to our next acro session. That was awesome. Yeah, we got to keep so doing cool. it. Um, <laughs> the one thing I wanted to ask before is uh, self-acceptance. Hmm. What's like the, the process of self-acceptance? It's a long process. Yeah. I'll say that rather than I wish it was like wake up one day and be like, you know what? I love you, Drew. You're awesome. Yeah. I wish it was like that all simple. the parts, the whole thing. Um, for me, it took a life coach, you know, a year of working with a life coach, reading books like uh, Brene Brown's uh, Daring Greatly, Rising Strong, Loving What Is, um, You're a Badass, um, The Art of Living, The Four Agreements, The Fifth Agreement. Those kinds of things helped me get to a point where I could see myself from how I should have been seeing myself my whole life, like a, a place of self-love. And I think if you can really experience what it's like to love yourself, that reflects on your other relationships in your life. Because all of my past mistakes in my life had to do with me hating who I was, mm. right? And that's the reason I got divorced. And that's the reason why, and I don't mean to open up this rabbit hole, but the no, affair please. happened. Um, you know, I had an affair uh, you know, when I was married before, and that's kind of what was the the cause of, of the whole divorce was the trust after that point, but it was more so, why did I do it? All of those past mistakes had to do with me hating myself. And I saw myself as a failure. <laughs> and I did failure-like things because I saw myself as a failure. So once I grew past that and, and learned how to love myself, then all my relationships change. How I see other people, how I see myself, how I see myself as a dad, how I see other people who are having a tough day, you know, rather than me like uh, punching them in the face and, and saying, you're, you know, I hate you. It's more so like, why, why the pain? Like what's yeah. wrong? Like what's wrong that's going, that what's causing you to act like this? So it's changed my whole uh, dynamic in my life, um, having that self-acceptance. And that's for me how I did it with meditation, gratitude journal, positive affirmations, those books that I mentioned, uh, Life Coach and, and, and years of going, going in, like inward reflecting and getting to know myself finally. I found making it to the other side of, of a fast to be a really beneficial um, kind of just feeling of like accomplishment or, or you hmm. can, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like we, we kind of lose so many battles day to day where you're like, Oh, I shouldn't do the thing. Like, Oh no, I'll just do it. <laughs> you know, every time you do that, you send a little confirmation. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm a loser. I'm, you know, whatever the thing, yeah. what a failure, whatever the thing is. Yeah. So a fast is, is one of those things that it makes sense that it's built into a lot of religion because it's one of those things that it really, when you do get to the other side of that, you feel really accomplished. Like yeah. you feel really strong. Yeah. You know, so if you can be empowered enough to choose what you put into your face, I think little stuff like that spills out in the other worlds. Setting yourself for little wins. Little wins. Yeah. I yeah. love that, man. That's great. That's great. Um, that's a great uh, example of doing that. So yeah. right. I like that. Cool, dude. Thanks, Aaron. Let's keep doing it. Next time. Okay, man. Whenever, Appreciate next time it, you're in the, in, the, in the town here. All right. Off to the airplane. Over now. Thanks so much. Pow. Align Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning into that conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. That's some ways that you can support this podcast, one of which you can pick up an Align Band, which is a heavy-duty resistance band. comes along with a door anchor and a carrying case and a video guide on how to mobilize those joints and integrate that body of yours. Really great stuff. You can be found at AlignTherapy.com and also on Amazon.com. Um, thank you also so much for utilizing the Amazon affiliate link on the right hand sidebar of the podcast page bookmark that thing anytime you purchase some crap on Amazon purchase that crap through that link we get percentage of it costs you nothing and I think that's enough thank you guys so much for reviews on iTunes thank you for listening thank you for supporting have a beautiful rest of your day Bye.